Well, if you've got your Bibles, I do want to invite you to go to the old, uh, the New Testament book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation, of course, is the last book in the New Testament. Revelation this morning. Uh, all summer long, if you're a guest, uh, all summer long, we've been going through a sermon series called Good Question. And uh, we decided to do this sermon series because many of you uh, are reading through the Bible cover to cover, uh, Genesis through Revelation. And as you've been reading through the Bible, you have had questions. And some of you have been emailing me, some of you have been talking to me, and I know you've been talking to one another as you're wrestling through your many questions. And so all summer long, uh, we're trying to kind of pull out out some of your questions and, and frame them up for the entire congregation. And so the question we're going to talk about this morning is a very common question. It's a question that I have heard long before we started the sermon series. It's a question that many of you have been asking, what is heaven going to be like? Really? I mean, when we get up there, are we all going to have wings? Are we going to wear white robes? Are we going to play harps? Are we going to advise people back on earth? I mean, what is heaven going to look like? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, for the gathering of your people here live at Union Park this morning. We thank you, God, for those who are tuning in online, who are in different parts of the country, even in our community, who are joining us uh, through this technology. We thank you, God, for the ways in which you uh, bless us and meet us and uh, invite us to live into your questions about, uh, that we have about you. So, God, we, we thank you. We praise you. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So there was this cat that died. And it shows up at the gates of heaven. And of course, in all gates of heaven jokes, there's St. Peter there standing. And the cat comes up to St. Peter, and uh, St. Peter says, hey, welcome to heaven. Is there anything I can do for you? We want to make your time here really comfortable and good. And the cat says, well, actually, uh, I do have a request. When I lived on earth, things were kind of tough. Things were kind of difficult. I lived with a poor family, and uh, everywhere I went, uh, I had to sit on hard surfaces. St. Peter, if you wouldn't mind, I would love to have a nice soft pillow while I'm in heaven. And St. Peter said, that's easy. I can do that. Poof. And all of a sudden, a pillow appears. Time goes by. And a pack of mice or a, a bunch of mice show up at the pearly gates, right? Now, some of you all of a sudden have theological problems with cat and mice in heaven. But it's, it's a story, so hang with me here a little bit. So the mice show up. They look at St. Peter. Peter says, hey, welcome to heaven, mice. How can I help you? What can I do to make your stay in heaven more comfortable? And the mice said, you know, we had it rough when we were on earth. Everywhere we went, someone was chasing us, sometimes dogs, sometimes cat, sometimes people. Everywhere we went, we were always being chased. Is there any chance that we could get some roller skates so we can just move a little bit quicker? St. Peter said, I can do that. Poof. 
And pretty soon there's these little roller skates on these little mice feet. Well, some time goes by and uh, St. Peter, he decides to check in on things on that particular part of heaven. And so he goes over to the cat and the cat is there sleeping on the pillow and he wakes up the cat. The cat stretches, comes out of the slumber. St. Peter says, well, how are things in heaven? The cat says, man, this place is the best. I love this comfortable pillow and those meals on wheels that keep coming by. They are the best. You know, a lot of people have many different ideas about heaven. Through the years, I've discovered that people have a lot of silly ideas about heaven. I've discovered that people have many strange ideas about heaven. I've discovered that many people have many non-biblical ideas about heaven. You know, when you talk to people about heaven, people kind of describe heaven kind of like whatever they want it to be, filled with all sorts of their favorite activities, maybe even some of their favorite pets, and they just kind of say, this is what I think heaven is going to be like. It kind of reminds me of Build-A-Bear. Anybody ever go to the shopping mall and and see the Build-A-Bear? You know, kind of, you you make your bear exactly how you want that bear to be. That's how many people uh, describe heaven and think of as heaven. It's whatever you want it to be. And I thought this morning, rather than us just kind of talking about heaven, whatever we want it to be, that we would spend a little bit of time talking about what God's word said heaven is actually going to be like. So we're going to look in the Old Testament uh, book of Revelation. Um, And uh, uh, Revelation, of course, is the last book um, in the New Testament. And we're going to uh, really consider what God has to say to us about this idea of heaven. You know, one of the interesting things about uh, the word heaven is it shows up not just in the Old Testament or in the New Testament book of Revelation, but it shows up throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. In fact, if you were to do a word search on heaven or plural heavens, you would have seven, more than 700 uh, hits. I mean, this is a common theme that comes up over and over throughout Scripture. This idea, this concept of heaven or heavens. And so this morning, we're just going to be scratching the surface a little bit on what this looks like. And again, rather than look at what the world says or what we want uh, heaven to be like, we're going to look to God's word and really try and go to a place that's difficult for us to truly imagine. This is what C.S. Lewis wrote uh, about uh, heaven. He put it this way, our ability to imagine what eternity will be like is like two infants in a womb talking about what they are doing once they're born and 25 years old. And I lay that out there as kind of a foundation thought because it's difficult for us because there's going to be so much that we experience in heaven and we think about it now. We can just catch little glimpses, but we just truly cannot wrap our minds around what heaven is going to be like. 
But it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible 700 times. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about what the Bible says uh, heaven looks like and what our experience there is going to be like. So I want to set up the, uh, the, the context uh, this morning for our, our Bible reading. I'm going to summarize the first 20 uh, chapters of the book of Revelation, and then we're going to kind of drill down a little bit in Revelation 21. The book of Revelation uh, was written by the disciple John. John was a a young follower uh, when he was following Jesus around, learning and watching and and, uh, serving alongside Jesus. And John is now an old man. He's been banished to an island, uh, a Greek island called Patmos. Now, this morning, as I was uh, all week long, as I've been preparing this sermon, uh, my boys Logan and Q are actually traveling uh, around Greece. This morning, they're on the island of Crete, and uh, Crete is a very different island than Patmos. Crete is a, a, a it's a tourist destination, and they've been going to the beach and they've been snorkeling and hanging out under palm trees and kind of doing all the fun things that tourists do when they go to Greece. Well, that was not the, uh, the Apostle John's experience on the, the island of Patmos. Patmos was more like Alcatraz. It was a penal colony. No palm trees, no tourist destination, no snorkeling. It was rocks. And you were there to suffer and pay your dues. And John was there because he was paying his dues because he couldn't stop talking about Jesus as the Son of God, that Jesus, who was crucified on a cross, rose from the grave. And so while John, the disciple of Jesus, now an old man, is on this island at Alcatraz, if you will, he gets a vision. He gets a vision from God about the end times, about heaven, about the future. And so I want to summarize with you, uh, for you this morning the first 20 chapters of uh, the book of Revelation. And re- so if you've got your Bibles, I would just encourage you uh, in re- at, the, at the very beginning of Revelation 1, you might just want to write it, uh, th- down these notes. Re- the book of Revelation is describing heaven in phases. So you could even entitle it, The Phases of Heaven. This is how we understand, according to John, that heaven, we experience heaven in phases. So if you were to die today and go to heaven, you would experience one phase of heaven, and then later another phase, another phase, and another phase. And in many ways, we shouldn't be uh, surprised about the different phases of heaven. We've all experienced the phases of life on this earth. The first phase on earth is the gestation period, nine months in the womb, right? Then live birth. The next phase of our life is being a baby. And being a baby is a phase of our lives. Then we move on to being a toddler, the next phase of our life. And then we move through the school age years, elementary school age years. The next phase after that is you become an adolescent, And that brings all sorts of interesting challenges and experience. Then the next phase, of course, of human life is to become an adult. And you go and do what we as adults do. And then the next phase of human life on this earth is to be a geriatric. 
And a couple years ago, I got a little card in the mail from the AARP that I have officially joined the ranks of being a geriatric. So apparently I have experienced all the phases of life on this earth. And uh, this is what uh, scripture tells us, John tells us, is that there will be different phases as we experience and go through heaven. So the first phase is, again, I'm still summarizing here, uh, Revelation 20. The first phase is that immediate presence. After we die, we immediately go to be with Jesus Christ. Now, of course, our body stays here. And uh, our body gets put into a a casket or uh, we're cremated, but our human body stays here, but our soul goes to heaven and we become immediately within the presence of Jesus Christ. Now in this first phase, there's not a lot that we, we, we really know about what that looks like. But what we do know is that in that first phase, we're with Jesus and we experience peace We experience love and we experience the joy of being in the presence of Jesus. By the way, um, uh, in this first, uh, I need to bring this up in in the first phase. There's no such thing as purgatory. You need to know that that's fiction. Purgatory was made up. I know some of you grew up with this whole idea of after you die, you go to purgatory to have your sins burned off. That idea is not in scripture. So just get that out of your mind. After you die as a Jesus follower, you go to be with Jesus. You don't need to worry about your sins anymore. They were taken care of at the cross. You don't need your sins burned off of you. Jesus already took care of those things. You die and you go to be in the presence of Jesus. Second phase of heaven is what we call the rapture of the church. This is the resurrection, the resurrection of the entire church. And you maybe have heard a little bit about this phase. It's where the dead will rise. We don't exactly know what it's going to look like. But again, if you're taking notes this morning, 1 Corinthians in the New Testament does a really good job. The Apostle Paul describes this resurrection day when the dead will rise. Also in this new phase or in the second phase, you're going to get a new body. This is where you get a new body. Up until this point in time, you've been a soul uh, in the presence of Jesus. But in that resurrection phase, you get a new body and it's going to be an awesome body. It's going to be a body unlike the body you have right now. You're going to have a six-pack. You're going to have an amazing, strong body. It's going to be a perfect body. I'm looking forward to phase two. uh, And you can read a little bit more about that as you look through, again, 1 Corinthians 15. Something else that happens in the second phase phase is uh, that you uh, come to this place of what's known as the judgment seat. We've probably heard of the judgment seat before, right? And in this idea of heaven, when you are on the judgment seat, this is not the place where Jesus looks at you and judges you. Again, your sins have been taken care of on the cross. You are not there to be judged and tell, be told all the things you did wrong. But in, the, in heaven, in this second phase, the judgment seat is that place where you get rewarded. You get rewarded. 
when you get to heaven. Isn't that kind of cool? You think about all the things that you do on, life, on this earth, in this life, to serve Jesus and grow his kingdom here. In the second phase, God's going to be handing out rewards to each one of you for what you've done and how you've lived your life on this earth. That's talked a little bit about, again, in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 5. It's that place where you get rewarded. Now, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but it's the bonus time. It's the blessings that God says, you know, well done. I want to give you some rewards and some extra blessings. The third phase of heaven is what's known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, I don't know. Some uh, theologians argue it's going to be about seven years. Other theologians say, no, we think it's going to be more like a thousand years. I don't know how long it's going to be the, the marriage supper. But if there's food there, I'm in. I'm good. I'm, I'm great if it lasts a thousand years, just sitting there and feasting at the marriage supper. And someday we're all going to know, is it seven or a thousand or somewhere in between? The fourth phase is where Jesus comes back. And that there, this is known as the new kingdom or the kingdom age. This is the fourth phase of heaven. And it, it lasts for about a thousand years or maybe exactly a thousand years. I don't know exactly. But the New Testament tells us this is going to be in this kingdom age. Jesus will come back to this earth and he will reign for a thousand years. And the earth is going to look very different. It's going to be made completely new. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be a wonderful place for us. Anybody ever watch HGTV? You know where they got the old house and then the new house? It's going to be like a total earth makeover. It's going to be wonderful. And for a thousand years, the earth, everything on the earth, there's going to be a whole new biosphere it says that all animals will be friendly and wonderful. There's going to be peace on earth. Our bodies are going to be fully healthy. It's just this kind of paradise of, of what the earth we experience today, only more wonderful. And it's going to last for a thousand years. And we're not paying taxes to the state of Illinois or to the federal government. Jesus is on the throne. And we just get to ex enjoy his creation. I'm looking forward to that fourth season of heaven. You know, the other thing about this season, this fourth season that I was thinking about, how many of you have a bucket list? Anybody have a bucket list of things you want to do or have done as you've gone through life on this earth? Yeah. And we go through life when we're like, oh, I want to go to, I want to go to Greece and I want to go to Spain and I want to go to California and uh, I want to, you know, travel and see these things and do these things. You've got a thousand years if you don't get everything taken care of on your bucket list in this life, just know that you've got another chance to cross off everything on your bucket list. And it'll be in the thousand year reign of Jesus. And you can get out your hammock and you can just sit on the beach if you want, I suppose. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I do know everything is going to be beautiful. So then there's another phase, and this is called the eternal state. In Revelation 21 and 22, I've kind of summarized now the first 20 chapters of Revelation. 
And so we're going to look at this final state, this eternal state of what it means to be in the presence of Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read from Revelation 21. John writes this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So I'm going to pause there for just a moment. After this phase where everything is good, the thousand-year reign of Christ, the earth, the world, the heavens will enter a new season of eternity, this eternal state. And it says there's a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth and the first heaven had passed away. In this state of heaven, there is no earth and there's no heaven. How many of you are trying to save the earth? Good luck. This earth is temporary. Now, we, do, we ought to be good stewards of the earth for sure. Recycle your stuff. Take care of things. But I think it's important for us to know that this earth is temporary. It will not last forever. At some point in time, God is going to look at the earth and say, we're done. Because he's going to create a new heaven, a new earth. This, that, this earth is going to pass away. Now you might ask yourself, why does God have to get rid of the earth? And you know this. The earth is polluted. And God has to destroy all that is polluted. And it's the same reason why there's going to be a new heaven. Because even heaven has been polluted. Once upon a time, there was a guy by the name of Lucifer. And he rebelled against God. And there was a battle fought in heaven. And as he rebelled against God, he polluted even the heaven. So what it says here is that even the heavens are going to be destroyed it's interesting that the scripture oftentimes talks about heaven in the plural, the heavens. The heaven, the one that we know of, is going to be destroyed like the earth. And God is going to create a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. Jesus even tells us about this several times in the New Testament. He says, heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. Oftentimes we focus, we hear this verse and that I just shared with you and you think, oh yeah, I remember that verse. I remember when Jesus talked about that and we think about that in the context of the words of Jesus live on forever and ever. But remember in that same verse, in those same words from the lips of Jesus, he says, heaven and earth will pass away. So we can't fall too much in love with this earth, with this world. And so you might even wonder, well, what, how in the world is that going to happen? The Apostle Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, 
He says it's going to go like this. This is how the earth is going to end. But the day of the Lord is like a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Peter tells us that everything is just going to be burned up. That's what's going to happen on the earth. And that's what's going to happen in heaven. The sun, the moon, the stars, everything we see and know, it's going to be burned up. Now, interestingly, um, for uh, most of human history, uh, the cosmology, uh, the scientists tell us, the cosmology, meaning the, the origin and uh, the, where the, uh, the earth and the universe all come from, scientists have told us that we live in a world of the steady state, that things are just kind of always even. But about 100 years ago, scientists started studying the sun, and they realize that the sun is actually burning up. And what scientists learn, those who are studying the sun, is that every single second, the, earth, the, the sun is losing mass. It's getting smaller and smaller and smaller, which tells us that the sun has a, had a beginning. And if the sun had a beginning, the sun will have an end. That we, in fact, do not live in a steady state, that things are always the same. What scientists now tell us is that the world is actually falling apart. It's getting worse. But here's the interesting thing, what I think, is the Bible's been telling us that forever, right? And I love that science is finally catching up with Scripture a little bit. Because for so long, the scientists are like, no, we know how this works. It's a steady state. And the Bible says, no, the earth is actually coming to the end. The sun's going to burn up. The earth is going to burn up. And now all of a sudden, the scientists are like, huh, I think that's actually how it's going to happen. Isn't that great that science is finally catching up to the Bible? And what God has been telling us all along. Let's continue back. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, crying or pain for the old things have passed away. He who is seated on this throne said, I am making all things new. Then he said, write this down. These are trustworthy and true. I want to pause there just for a moment. John tells us that everything is going to be made new. And on the one hand, I love that. Ever get a new cell phone? And you get to kind of like look at it and check out all the new components of it and go, oh, what's the, the camera going to be like this time? And what are the new features of my phone? I mean, we like new things, Right. There's something about something new that just kind of brings us alive and, and makes us a little bit excited. Or I think about maybe you take your car to the car wash and, and as you're having, after you got it car washed, uh, the attendant standing there looks in and says, hey, sir, uh, would you like a fragrance at that car? How about lemon? Nope. Lavender? Nope. Mint? Nope. I want that new car smell, right? That's what we all ask for. 
And then we say, and then after we make that request, the attendant looks at us and says, yeah, I'm sorry, we're out of that fragrance. Because everybody wants the new car smell, right? We love the new car smell. John tells us everything is going to be made new. And on the one hand, we love to experience new things. On the other hand, we kind of like our old things. We like our things that are familiar. And some of you might even be sitting here this morning thinking, well, I don't know. I'm going to miss my pets. I'm going to miss my garden. I'm going to miss going to the beach. I'm going to miss going to the mountains. There's so many things I'm going to miss on this earth. And scripture tells us that actually we will not miss those things. The Old Testament uh, prophet Isaiah writes this, Behold, I will create the new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. In other words, you are not even going to think about those things. You won't even think about them. And maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking, well, I'm going to miss my friends. I'm going to miss my loved ones. I don't think they're thinking about the people who are there right now. They're not thinking about us. They're not. They're in a better place, right? Scripture tells us that when they get to heaven, there is just joy unspeakable. They are not thinking about you right now. You miss them. You love them. You care about them. But they're not thinking about you because they're in the presence of Jesus and things are so good. They just can't even imagine all the horrible, broken things going on in this earth. And I know that might be a little bit disappointing to you this morning thinking, man, my loved ones don't miss me. Nope. They don't. They're good. They're healed. Remember, they got the six-pack, new bodies. Everything is good for them right now. And we can look forward to that as well when we get to heaven. We're not doing Build-A-Bear this morning, remember? We're looking at God's Word and what God says to us. And Isaiah tells us that we won't even think about those things in the new heaven, in the new earth. I want to jump back to verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain, for the order of things has passed away. No more death. That means when you get to heaven, you're not going to go to the cemetery and visit people. You're not going to go and see tombstones. When you get to heaven, you're not going to go to any funerals. There's not going to be any funeral homes because there's no death. It's going to be good and you won't go out and be sad and place flowers because you, there's no death forever and ever. You get to just experience life. No more tears. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. No more tears of sadness. No more tears of poverty. No more tears of struggle. No more tears of loneliness. No more tears of all the things that we cry about as we go through this life and those emotional heartaches for us. No more tears in heaven, which also means that there's no disease in heaven. 
Isn't that awesome? No more cancer diagnosis. No more heart, uh, heart issues. No more medications. If you're in the medical field today, you're out of a job in heaven, right? No more hospitals. No more clinics. No more doctor's appointments. It's just all good. You are healthy and strong for all of eternity. No more death. No more tears. No more pain. No pain. You know, I recently learned that about 20% of Americans struggle with chronic pain. I would imagine there are some of you here today who have pain. Sometimes when I go and visit you in your houses, uh, you uh, share with me kind of the latest uh, pain ointment that you've got. Some of you are using CBD oils and, you know, different roll-on things, different medications. And, and we know that medical science still hasn't fully caught up with all the pain in this world. And I know pain is a real thing. And pain is debilitating for even some of you. And those of us who were out here cleaning up yesterday, we're just feeling a little bit sore this morning, or I did anyways. It's that reminder that we're getting older. Pain. But not in heaven. Not in heaven. No pain in heaven. No sadness, no pain, no crying. The old things have passed away. And, there are, and things are all brand new. Verse 6. Uh, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who have overcome the world, and uh, other translation says, those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And this is the last point I want to kind of camp out on this morning. That we learn. In heaven, not everyone is going to be there. See, the prevailing thought today, the prevailing ideology in our world is if you're born, you live a life, and then everybody goes to heaven. The Bible says not everybody's going to be in heaven. Did you hear that? Not everyone is going to be there. Verse 7, those who have overcome the world, those are the people who are going to be in heaven. What does it mean to overcome the world? John tells us in 1 John 5, who, it, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Only Christ followers will be in heaven. Not everyone is there. Which we have to think about this morning and all kind of camp out on. Do a little personal reflection and thought. How is my relationship with Jesus? How is my relationship with God? If I surrendered my life to Jesus, do I truly believe in my heart that Jesus is the Son of God? And maybe you've wrestled with that question or you've just kind of ignored that question. And if that's you, your best days are behind you. 
Because as you get older, you get aches and pains and struggles and heartaches. All you have to hold on to are memories. Things in the rearview mirror. Your best days are behind you. But if you're in Christ, if you are a Jesus follower, you got a lot to look forward to. The best is yet to come. I once heard a pastor uh, say it this way. If you are in Christ, this world is as bad as it gets. But if you're not in Christ, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, this life is as good as it gets. So we ask ourselves, where am I at with this? It's not Build-A-Bear. Not everybody's in heaven. John tells us through this vision that some will not be there. Only those who are victorious, who have overcome sin and death in this life will be with Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, what do I do? What do I do with this idea of being in Christ? So this morning, maybe some of you need to take care of business with Jesus. I was, at sitting, I was sitting at Panera yesterday. There was a guy behind me, and he was talking to a, a family whose dad was dying. He said, you know, has your dad made peace with Jesus? And they said, well, we don't know. He said, well, I'm really concerned about your dad. I've been praying for your dad. And they wanted to change the subject really fast they want to talk about it. They didn't want to deal with it. And so this morning, I want you to deal with it. How is your relationship with Jesus? Have you surrendered your life and said, God, I am a sinner. I need you to forgive my sin. It's that simple. So why does it matter? Why does it matter in this life? We've, we talked a little bit about why it matters that we are in Christ in heaven. But why does it matter while we live on this earth? Because we, we're still living, right? We're still breathing. We're still in this broken and sinful world. Why does it matter that we have an accurate understanding of what heaven is like today? And the best way I can really describe it uh, is, is a, a little bit of a story for you. About 20 years ago, I was working in a rather large congregation, uh, and I got my school bus driver's license so that I could haul around the youth group. It was a very large youth group, and uh, it was great fun driving around a school bus most of the time. But every now and then, uh, as I was driving through uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul in this school bus, I would run into road construction, and the road got really narrow, and then I would also run into lots of cars all around me. And I'm not, you know, I hadn't been driving school bus very long, but it made me very, very nervous to see these concrete barriers with a bunch of kids in the back of the bus yelling and screaming. Their lives are in my hands. And so as I'm driving through Minneapolis-St. Paul, going through road construction, and there's cars all around me, I, my, my hands are uh, white-knuckling. I am just grabbing onto the steering wheel as tight as I can. And I remembered the training I got from my school bus driver. And he said, when you're, you're, you're not sure what to do, look way out onto the horizon as far as you can look. 
Don't look at those barriers all around you. Look far out. Maybe some of you learned that in your driver's training as well. That your peripheral vision will take care of what is in the here and now. But to focus on what's way far out there. And I think in that same way, when we focus on these phases of heaven, when we focus on all the good things that are going to go on in heaven, the good things that we get to experience in heaven, as we go through this life white knuckling, holding on, stressed about all those barriers around us, all those obstacles around us, all those challenges around us, we can look out and just trust that Jesus is going to get us there. He's going to guide us there and protect us and hold us and carry us. And that's the image that I want to leave with you this morning. This is why it's so important that we have an honest, truthful, biblical understanding of what heaven looks like. Because I want to see you all there. And as you navigate this life and you go through struggles, I want to encourage you to just keep looking out on the horizon far off and to be reminded that Jesus will get you there safely. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we don't have to just wonder about what heaven is like. That we don't have to live in a world where it's just build a bear uh, as it relates to heaven. Whatever I want to make it, whatever anybody wants to make it. But that God, you have told us what heaven is like 700 times throughout the Bible. And God, you've given us this special vision in the book of Revelation to hear and to see and to understand these different phases of heaven. And God, it's good. It's really good. And Lord, there's a lot of questions I have about heaven, and I know uh, these folks have about heaven as well. But God, I think you've given us enough. I think you've given us enough to understand, Lord. It's a place where we want to go. It's a place where we want to go and be with you. A place where we will not struggle, a place where we will not be depressed, a place where we will not no longer battle addiction, a place where we will no longer uh, shed tears and be filled with sadness and feel our bodies breaking down, but it will be a place of joy and peace and goodness unspeakable because we will be in your very presence. So God, teach us. Teach us to be people who live in this world right here, right now, with an eye toward an eternity with you. Help us to love those around us, to have the courage and the boldness like that guy had yesterday at, at Panera, to remind others, God, that you're preparing a place for us. And not all will be there. So God, give us great concern. Give us great passion to share the gospel, the good news, this free gift of eternal life with you, with all those we encounter. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.